This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. Welcome to Brand and New. I am Audrey Dove. Only strengthened by the civil unrest in the US and across the globe, which emitted almost two years ago, companies have been watching and reviewing their brand message, but also their corporate cultures and hiring practices to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion, what we call DEI. They have become actual priorities for executive teams, HR leaders, boards of directors, marketing teams, and legal departments seeking to ensure their ongoing success by aligning their daily practice with the DEI messages voiced by many in the streets. What does it mean and what does it take for a brand to embrace DEI towards its customers? Can brands keep their identity and customer loyalty while still at the same time evolving in sync with society? And what about brands whose targeted markets are all over the globe and therefore do not share the same cultures, including when it comes to the meaning of diversity, equity and inclusion? And last but not least, what about the employer brand? How to implement DEI within an organization in an effective, business-friendly and performance-oriented way? Our guest today is Adria Brown, who is the Vice President and Assistant General Counsel for Trademarks at Harley Davidson USA since 2015. Adria is responsible for leading Harley Davidson's in-house trademark team, which includes oversight of a portfolio of over 5,000 global trademarks, trademark enforcement and litigation. She also serves as legal support for the company's multi-million dollar licensing and general merchandise business. She was the co-chair of INTA's Global Brand Transactions and Due Diligence Subcommittee until last year. So thank you very much, Adria, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Audrey. I am very excited. My first question is about, of course, Harley Davidson, that is the global leader in motorcycle manufacturing, and it's one of the most iconic uh, American brand names. Having been in operation for over 116 years, the brand enjoys a strong customer recognition way beyond its targeted market. But this longevity does not mean that the company culture and branding strategy have remained frozen in time, quite the opposite. Uh, Harley Davidson has managed to evolve alongside its customer base and society in general. What's the recipe for a timeless brand? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good question. It, it's, uh, and, and I don't know that I, I know the recipe for a timeless brand. When I look at Harley Davidson though, and I think about, you know, this company that has been, that has been around for a hundred plus years, survived depression, survived wars, um, and yet it's still strong. I, I have to think that it really comes down to one, having a really good product and two, you know, I'm going to say two, because I'm a trademark person, I have to say protecting your rights. I think that's, well, that's a key thing <laughs> for your brand, right? <laughs> so you have to be diligent in protecting your rights, but even then, I think it comes down to what you're actually selling or what people are connecting to. Yeah, you can have a great product, but I think it's about infusing that product 
into someone's life. And it's something then that they identify with. You know, I, I use soap every day. I can't say that I'm beholden to a certain type of soap, that it makes me that type of person. But a lot of people for Harley Davidson, for example, they identify as a person with Harley Davidson, with their products. Like I am a Harley person. This is the product that I am beholden to. And whether or not you're that type of person or not, whether or not you identify with Harley culture or the lifestyle that Harley Davidson has sold, for example, you still know of the brand and that's what's important. Whether you like it or not, you know of the brand. So I think creating that sort of identity, creating that sort of emotion standpoint from it, because that's what it, to me, I think about Timeless. It's about connecting on a much deeper level rather than just what do I need for the utility purpose? What do I need for it to function? Willie G. Davidson, grandson of one of the founders and very famous Motorcycle Hall of Fame, uh, previous Harley executive. I always get the quote wrong when I want to say it, but he said, form must report to function, right? But both of them report to emotion. And that's really what it comes down to mm -hmm. is emotion is what influences such a product, such a brand as Harley, which uh, honestly has very little utility. If you think about, do I need a motorcycle to get to and fro. No, you more than likely need a car uh, or some type of enclosed vehicle that will last throughout all of the seasons, right? To take other people with you. And a motorcycle is, serves an emotional purpose, but yet it also connects you and identifies emotionally with who you are. And what you How can a brand survive through generations and social changes without losing touch with its public or weakening its core identity? I think you You already uh, gave some, some tips about that, but also why still reaching out to younger generations? In other words, what does it take from the marketing, operational, or even legal organizations within the company? You know, depending on how you're looking at it, you know, you read things in the paper and everything you see about Harley is that we're struggling to keep in touch with the current generation. And that, you know, keeping in touch with the public and that our core customer is not the customer of today. And I think, you know, you can't believe everything that you read for sure, but there's also as much as a, a lifestyle, right, that I was talking about that you create. Some people agree with it and some people don't. And sometimes it's hard for people to wrap their heads around something that might be different than what they have grown accustomed to. Like in my mind, For example, phones are supposed to be black and all of a sudden there's a red phone. It's like, what's going on? Why is this phone red? Um, and I think that's kind of how some people have reacted to some of the changes that Harley Davidson has made. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to staying true to your principles. Principles must guide you. Uh, that's kind of how I think of it. Like, what is the core? What are the your core beliefs? What are your principles? And that from not just a moral standpoint necessarily, but even just like, what are your foundational business principles and sticking to that? You know, Harley Davidson back in the day, as far as I understand, was all about rebellion, right? And rebellion appealed to the youth. And those people have grown up, but that does, just because they grew up in the rebellion of that day was what they believed in and was what they associated with. And If Harley Davidson is changing to reach the youth of today, or not changing, but still keeping with that rebellion, you know, for example, a rebellious attitude, that difference is not truly a difference. It's remaining true to who they are, but yet some people just might see it differently. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic to see. I read a lot of comments on, on things that Harley does and things that other brands do. And it's interesting to see how many people are just resistant to change and overly critical of everything. So 
I think it's a tough notion to survive uh, in this day and age in particular, because everyone comments on everything and everyone has access to comment and have an opinion on everything, which is, which is great. It's great to hear from customers. Don't get me wrong, but it's certainly, there's just a lot more pressures and a lot more pulls that can come in all different directions. I think it's just staying true to who you are as a company, deciding who you are, staying true to your brand. And that goes right into your second question. When you're talking about what does it take from the marketing, the operational and legal, everyone has to be on one accord. That's kind of how I think of it. If everyone has their kind of marching orders in terms of what the company represents, then everyone can help meet that. You can kind of filter out the noise because there's so much noise coming from all of these different directions. And marketing can push forward a consistent message and operations can execute that consistent message. And of course, legal is always involved and has to be consistent in helping to carry out. One of my favorite parts of work is just being part of the legal department because we touch on so many different areas of the business, every area of the business, um, and can sometimes see things and notice trends that maybe other folks aren't paying attention to because we're just seeing it all. So it's certainly, everyone understanding what the company's strategy is, what the company's direction is, what those principles are, and really just working toward that every day. That's, I mean, that's just kind of how I look at it. And before discussing the relationship between brands and diversity, equity and inclusion principles, we cannot help but ask you about the way the Harley Davidson brand has become more than a brand, a lifestyle, so much so that lots of its customers have a real passion for it. And you you already talked about it. From an IP perspective, what is the company's policy regarding passion projects such as tattoos, collections, and other derivative arts? (laughs) I I chuckle a little bit because... um... I've been doing new employee orientation for a number of years now, giving a presentation at Harley. And uh, without fail, this is like a question that is always asked. So this is one of the most consistent questions that I'm asked. So it's it's very (laughs) fitting. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's very fitting that you would ask me this question. So before I joined Harley Davidson, I I knew of the brand, like how many people don't know? It's like everyone knows of it, but I, I wasn't, I certainly didn't know as much as I do now, right? I definitely didn't understand the level of passion that goes into it as our customers represent. It is amazing to to witness people who have, you know, they identify everything about themselves becomes Harley Davidson, not everyone, but so many people. It's amazing to see that level of passion. You know, I think the approach that we take from an IP perspective is, is balancing the understanding and the desire for enthusiasts to want to be passionate about the brand and want to connect with the brand, as well as what that means for us to ensure that we have a, a brand that remains strong legally so that we can help prevent bad actors. As many enthusiasts and good-hearted people as there might be, there's also twice as many folks who have ill intent and are just wanting to capitalize or do something, you know, capitalize off the brand and and make money or do something that is harmful to the brand. So we try to take what we call a fair approach. You know, generally, we're not going to say anything about your tattoo, please. Like if you're passionate to get a tattoo, please go and get one. I'm not going to stop you. People create their own products for sure. We also are a very, because of the brand, we do more than sell motorcycles. We understand that people like to see the Harley Davidson trademarks elsewhere. So we offer a lot of products 
through both ourselves as well as licensees so that we can provide a, a number of different types of other products such as you know art or t-shirts or other types of things so you know that's where we're personal is personal use is fine it's kind of our approach but if you start selling it start making start being commercial about it then we do we do say hey thank you we appreciate your efforts we appreciate your enthusiasm but we would much more prefer if you would use the products that we are that we know you know have the quality um, that we stand behind and represent the Harley brand in a way that we are well aware of and, and meet your needs as a consumer or meet the standards that we want you to have as a consumer. So, but otherwise, you know, certainly go on and, you know, do your personal things, make for your personal use, just uh, don't sell them or you might get a, a tap, tap, tap from one of us uh, <laughs> at Harley Davidson. Uh, one reason brands can become timeless is arguably when they enjoy the strong identity that was built through time, while at the same time keeping up and staying aligned with evolving social values. Focusing on the relationship between the brand and its customers, its markets, what does it mean for a brand to embrace social value and more specifically to promote diversity, equity and inclusion? Uh, it's a big question, Audrey. That's a big question. Diversity and equity and inclusion are words of the hour uh, of the time. And so 50 years ago, diversity, equity, inclusion weren't being discussed. Now they should have been, it should have been part of everything. It just wasn't being discussed. So embracing that now can feel very different. As I said before, people can be resistant to change. But I think if you take it out of just the buzzword type of feel and you start thinking about people just think about who do you like welcoming people, being inclusive in, in general, being a brand for all and stop with the exclusivity or the feeling that this is only for certain people that will help lead you and guide you. You know, Harley Davidson, for example, is a brand that believes it's inclusive for everyone. Like it, it everyone, anyone can ride. And in fact, it doesn't even matter if you ride a motorcycle, you can still be part of the Harley Davidson family. And that's just kind of the approach that I think is the right approach to take. But, you know, it still makes sense that now brands are, well, not brands, but society is expecting a lot from brands. You know, as you said, it's like embrace the social value and how do you promote diversity, equity and inclusion? It's like promote your values. Now, what if your values aren't diversity, equity, inclusion? What if you you don't have DEI values? If you don't, then let that be the case too. Like I, I much rather prefer for people to stand by the values that they believe in rather than create values just for social media or just for uh, it looks good. Yeah, be true to yourself, be true to whatever the, the company is. That gone are the days now where you can simply, for the most part, just sell a product and, and remain quiet and theoretically have no stance on anything because that's just, that's not expected anymore. That's not necessarily acceptable based off of the amount of power and influence that brands can have with their money. They have more money and more influence than I can ever have as an individual. There are the people who are leading those brands have the ability and the power to change and do things with their money uh, that they don't have necessarily on an individual level. I can't say necessarily, right? And I think that's what's being expected. It's like, you're going to do stuff automatically as a company. You can't help but to represent your interests and your interests 
should also be similar to those of the customers that you're selling your, your products mm -hmm. and services. Mm -hmm. Because if you are doing things or supporting things that are directly against me, why should I be supporting you so you can continue to do so? INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. Many brands, especially in the US, took stances and responsibility to address systemic racism, but also took actual action to address those issues as they relate to their branding message. Think about Uncle Ben's, uh, Aunt Jemima, or some football teams. Do you think uh, brands can actually play a proactive role in this uh, uh, social change as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion beyond just keeping up with it? I think, yes, brands can play a proactive role. Um, so far, I don't know if we have seen that. That's just thinking off the top of my head. I'm sure there, I'm not going to say that there aren't, but you know, the examples that are provided, they're, they're great examples. Uncle Ben's, Aunt Jemima, you know, the sports teams, the Washington football team. These are wonderful examples. But the, so far, they've been reactive, not proactive. And when you have brands that are that old, it's very difficult, I guess you would say, to be proactive. And it's almost got to be reactive because for so long it was just this is what it is without question. But I think it can spur brands along to start thinking about what it is that they're doing and use this now to take a, a different approach and a different lens. I'm hoping that people are starting to look around the room and notice when they're at these marketing meetings, when they're at these naming meetings and say, who isn't represented here? And who's, whose voice do we need to think about? Because that all can play into not just the brand, but how the customers are being, how the customers are seeing it. So yes, I do think brands can be proactive. It takes a lot of work because that starts getting into more a, away from the statements, which are easy. It starts to, to your point, it's right. You're just keeping up with it really to have a message, to have something to say, but then what are you doing that goes above and beyond to the point where you're getting uncomfortable and going back to kind of the statement before, when you start, if and when you change things, Everyone has an opinion. So can you stay the course with whatever it is that you decide is true to your brand in the face of criticism or adversity? These are all things lead by example, but it's that lead part that can be so difficult to step out when other people aren't doing it or when it can potentially impact the bottom line. Mm. Let's go back to Harley Davidson. So as a Fortune 1000 company, it's a group with an international footprint and a brand recognition that goes way beyond the borders of the United States. And while we may have a common understanding of what DEI stands for in the US and in Europe, it may very well vary from one region to another or even between countries within highly differentiated regions such as Asia. What are the challenges you, as an IP practitioner, identify related to these social and cultural differences that may require adjusting a brand's image and its communications as it relates to diversity, inclusion, and uh, equity? It's certainly more difficult. Uh, it's much more difficult when you get away from home altogether. My experiences here in the U.S. are, are certainly my experiences here, and it's, it's difficult to relate. 
um, elsewhere. I think the biggest way to do it is just being open and asking questions and understanding that, and it can be very difficult to think globally sometimes when you're so um, US centric or US focused, but you know, we have a, for instance, we have a legal team, including, um, and a business team in Asia, multiple offices in Asia, and it's always asking, it's always asking and doing research over there. You know, what is happening over here? What is this, is this relevant? What are the challenges and issues that are being faced? What's just different because what works in the US or what works in Europe doesn't always work in Asia, nor should it, to be honest, because and vice versa. Um, but keeping that open mind where it's not just a one size fits all, it, it go, kind of goes back to everything before. If you think of welcoming everyone and think of inclusion as leading and your guiding principle, then you'll make you'll take the steps to do so. So asking questions, being open minded and making those adjustments. That's kind of how we how we look at it. Behind the brand culture and the relationship between brands and their markets, uh, companies multiply actions to foster a, a culture that promotes uh, DEI internally. Regarding the development of innovative, inclusive employer brands, what can you tell us about the role of the so-called inclusive stakeholder management on staff at Harley-Davidson? In 2021, um, Harley-Davidson rolled out a new strategic initiative called the Hardwire, uh, which has six pillars in it. And one of those pillars is inclusive stakeholder management. So this is a uh, new team, uh, a new area for Harley-Davidson. And inclusive stakeholder management is focused on people, profit, and the environment. And that kind of sounds weird to have profit in there. But when you think about you, you need the profit to remain sustainable. Uh, so certainly that comes in there, right? You can't, if you're not making money, you can't be a brand. But it focuses on the people in the, not just our customers, but also our employees and our independent dealer network. There's more than 1,400 dealers around the world. So really want to ensure that everyone is being considered thought of, developed, right? We want to have great people in our organization as well as outside the organization who associate with Harley-Davidson. And then also being sustainable in the way that we are focusing and living, operating as a brand, whether that's the kind of materials that we're using, sustainable sustainability for the environment, for sure. Sustainability, it also relates to DE&I, so that's part of it. Sustainability relates to people and diversity and inclusion. When you think about forces for brand to sustain, it must adapt and be diverse, right? So you have to make sure you're inclusive for the sustainability to impact not just your products, but also your people as well. So just giving that background, it's a newer unit and a newer way of looking at things. But when you think about it, it makes a ton of sense with that focus. It is a broad focus. So certainly there has to be a, a level of um, focus for all of those individuals, but it's certainly the first type of inclusive stakeholder management is the first team I've I've heard of like that at Harley Davidson with that name. But it's really focusing on all of the stakeholders, ensuring that all of them are included, and that and that includes people as well as the environment. And in your role, and also as a millennial, uh, what initiatives have you launched or supported with your teams? to apply diversity, equity, and inclusion principles to legal teams in particular and the workplace more generally? 
DEI is certainly something that I'm, I'm passionate about, and I've been very fortunate to be part of a diverse legal team with a wonderful young leader as well, our GC, um, who really supports and encourages us. He is one of the most diverse uh, management teams that I sit on, and it allows us to then have those conversations and do things in the legal department. So, you know, we've been a part of having open dialogues uh, since 2020. We started having discussions, participating in, in the, it was put on by the American Bar Association, organized by them, but we took on the 21-day challenge for racial equity. You know, having discussions about what was happening around in the U.S., but then bringing our international legal members in and understanding what's happening on their from their perspective as well on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Having those vulnerable moments and sharing more outside of just work every day, I think has really helped to make us feel more inclusive. I also participate in the employee resource groups at Harley-Davidson, several of them, including for African-American employees, LGBTQ employees, working to be just a, a sounding board and, and, and advance initiatives uh, as well. It's really trying to ensure that we have those conversations. And I also you know, work very diligently to keep the company accountable, hold the company accountable. I think that's, uh, that's an important role for me as an employee is to ensure that we're standing behind what it is that we say we're going to do and that we're always pushing ourselves and not just be, you know, remaining comfortable with what we have done uh, because there's always more to be done. We're not there yet. And that's kind of how I look at it. And I think I'm in a unique position or I'm in a very beneficial position that I can be able to do that with my level and my role. Adria, I have few rapid fire questions for you. A brand with a strong uh, diversity, equity and inclusion culture that inspires you aside from Harley Davidson, of course, but maybe in other another sector. I can only speak about what I see, you know, externally. So this is what I would hope would be a strong DE&I culture. Um, but certainly the, the brand that I always um, really like is Target, uh, Target retail stores based out of Minnesota, just because of everything that I see them doing um, and their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, so yeah, Target. A word that would summarize the last year and the one you expect for uh, 2022. <laughs> uh, <laughs> last year, 2021, challenging. That was the word for last year. 2022, encouraging. So I'm really hoping that uh, 2022 turns out to be a great year. I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. And the last book you read and that you would recommend? Um, last book I read was uh, Think Again by Adam Grant. Great book. Highly recommend for all areas of your life. Thank you so much, Adria. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Audrey. I really appreciate it. My guest today was Adria Brown, the Vice President and Assistant General Counsel for Trademarks at Harley-Davidson. Thank you for listening to Brand & New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.